commands. Jumping to 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The word of the Lord. helps if this mic is turned on, right? Because you can hear better. Thank you. Always interrupt me there if you can't hear. Uh, We get this amazing blessing each year that we have more covenant students that come to be a part of our body. And you guys add so much to the life of our church. You mean so much to us. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to let you go, although we do all all that we can to keep you here and find a way for you to stay here. I know there, there's a dad who's come to take his daughter, yeah. So, um, but you guys add so much to us, and then we get this benefit of knowing that God is going to call you out into different places in the world to take the truth of the gospel and to build his kingdom. And for that, we rejoice even when we have to say goodbye. Thank you guys so much for being a part of our church. We love you. So let's pray together as we come to God's word. Lord Jesus, would you come and meet us in these next few moments as we prepare to come to your table and meet you in a very tangible way in communion? I pray that you would send your spirit and just take your words, take your words and plant them into our hearts that we would hear you speaking to us, that we would have our hearts lifted by the hope and the joy and the beauty of the gospel And so often, Lord, in order for us to experience that joy, we have to experience the conviction of our need and our sin. Would you bring that as well, that Jesus would become more precious to us this morning? In Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's start with a question for kids. Kids, we got to speak up loud here, be bold. But I have a question for you. What is the difference between liking something and loving something? H. Loving is more emotional. Boom, right there. It's almost like we planned it, right? We didn't, actually. Anybody else? What, what is the difference whenever you say, well, I like that, but I love this? Any other thoughts on the difference there? No? 
Did H just so nail it there? Okay, Stan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so sometimes we tend to use love for a whole range of things. You know, God's love or pizza. I love pizza, right? How does that happen in the same person? I thought to love Alabama meant to hate Tennessee. Uh, anyways, that's a different conversation, right? Yeah. Wow. A brother in the Lord. Yeah, it has. It has. It, it, it throws us all off. Sometimes we throw around that word love. Kids, do you like school or love school or none of the above? (laughs) What about whenever you think about, like, summer vacation? Do you like summer vacation? Yeah, it's good. Or do you love summer vacation? Luke? Oh, you like it? Okay, you're kind of... Okay, all right, all right. Yes, right. (laughs) Spoken by teacher there. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's something that we'll see come out in the passage, is that whenever you really love something, it does something to your life, how you live your life. We have a new category, the hate of school over here. That's okay, you know. It's early. It's early. You know. She hasn't got to the, you know, the, the love of learning yet, which we know will come any time, Right? So here's the thing, whenever we say, kind of exactly what H said, whenever we say that we love something, we mean that it brings us delight and enjoyment, pleasure. That's what we mean whenever we say we love something. Now, sometimes whenever we think about the Christian life, we don't always necessarily associate it with delight and pleasure and joy and deep, soul-satisfying enjoyment, right? We know that the right answer is, yeah, I love God. Of course I do. You know, I know I'm supposed to love that. But whenever, really, if we're honest, whenever we think about the Christian life, sometimes it feels more like a duty than a delight. Those are two very different things, right? A duty and a delight. Sometimes school can feel like a duty, like Bella's sharing, And then summer vacation is like a delight. Sometimes the Christian life for us becomes, well, I know I'm supposed to do this, and I know I'm supposed to believe in Jesus, and I know I'm supposed to go to church, and I know I'm not supposed to do those things. And so often, just the Christian life is just about what we're supposed to do. It's duty, but sometimes very seldom is it our passion, our delight, our joy, our treasure. Here's what we see in our passage today. When we experience the rich love of Jesus in the gospel, Jesus becomes our delight and our treasure. Let me say that again. When we experience the rich love of Jesus for us in the gospel, Jesus becomes our delight and our treasure. That's what we'll see. Let's look in together. We're looking at John 14. This is a passage, if you're paying attention and you're here each week, you know we've already looked at this passage. 
We've been in this series where we're going through John 13 through 17, which is this extended evening Jesus spends with his disciples before he goes to the cross, and then he is resurrected and goes and ascends into heaven. These are his last moments, his last evening with his disciples that he shared life with for three years. And what's incredible in the book of John is that it stretches that time out. You know, all of his ministry has come to us in the number of 12 chapters, and then just in the span of four chapters, it's just one evening together. And we see this intimate conversation back and forth with Jesus and his disciples where he is sharing with them the things that he most wants them to remember about him and about how they're to live whenever he leaves them. Now, here's the first thing that I want us to see just in these few verses that we read here. And it's almost like an assumption that Jesus is making about disciples. Again, he's speaking to his disciples, directly to those 12 disciples, but kind of over their shoulder, he's speaking to us, those of us who would consider ourselves disciples of Jesus. And here's the assumption that he makes in the verses that we just read, that to be a disciple means that you love Jesus. Look again at what he says here, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey my teachings. We'll talk about the obedience in a minute. But his beginning statement, his assumption is, if you love me, this will take place. He repeats himself. Look over at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Again, at verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. You see, Jesus there is defining what it means to be a disciple as someone who loves Jesus. Not as someone who believes in Jesus, though he talks a lot about faith in the book of John. In fact, he writes John in order that we might believe. But it's not primarily about believing in Jesus. It's not primarily about making a decision for Jesus and being a good person and obeying what Jesus has taught and going to church and all of those other things that are wonderful things. Those are not what make you a disciple. What makes you a disciple is that you are someone who loves Jesus. Now, this isn't just in this spot that he makes this assumption. In fact, The vast teaching of the New Testament defines a disciple in these categories. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 where he says this. He who loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now just think, those are strong statements here. Now he's kind of getting on our toes a little bit, right? He's speaking about those relationships that typically in our life are the most precious to us. I mean, he could have gone on and included like your spouse. He who loves his spouse more than me is not worthy of me. He could get into other things that we really love. He who loves Alabama football more than me is not worthy of me. Sorry, I had to pick on the Alabama people. He wouldn't say that about Georgia people, I don't think. He could go on and on and name all of these things in our life that we love. It's not bad to love those things. That's not the problem. The problem is that we love created things, even good things like our children, more than Jesus by nature. And so Jesus is saying here, listen, you need to understand, to become a disciple of mine means that you love me 
more than you love anything else in your life, even your precious children. He could even put grandchildren in here, by the way. Right? You see, what Jesus is saying is profound there. To become a disciple is to love Jesus, not just believe, not just to make a decision, not just to like Jesus and think he's great, but to love him. Now, whenever we think about love, and this is just kind of common, again, H pointed this out in the beginning, to love something is emotional, right? It implies affection. You know, when you love something, what you mean whenever you say, I love it, is that I find delight in it. I find satisfaction in it. It is my treasure. Those are just assumptions about love. Whenever, you know, two people are coming together in marriage, I get the privilege of getting to officiate marriages, and I do premarital counseling, and I'm sitting before these two people who love one another, and I always start premarital counseling with, do you love each other, and how do you know? It's a little trick where we talk about what is the essence of love. But what stands out More than anything else, whenever you're at a wedding and you're with a couple that's about to be married, what stands out is their love for one another. How do you know they love one another? Because they're face-to-face with each other and they can't take their eyes off of each other and that, that they're not delighting in this person simply because of what this person might give them. They're simply delighting in who the person is. They enjoy one another. They, they find one another to be their treasure, their precious. Their, the value that they see in the other person surpasses the value that they see in any other person. You see, the essence of love is just that. It is finding enjoyment in something or someone. So to love Jesus implies not just that I believe in him, not just that I've made a decision for him, not just that I think that he's very important, but that he is my treasure. He's more valuable to me than anything else that the world holds out to me. That he is satisfying to me. That that I find him, his, his glory, his power, who he is, what he's done in my place, I find that to be more valuable to me than anything else that I would admire or seek in this life. That's what really is at the essence of being a disciple of Jesus. Now, this is not some special category of disciple. You know, I think it would be very easy for us to say, well, you know, super Christians are those Christians that really love Jesus, but, you know, the the ordinary Christians are the ones that you know, we, we know the right things about Jesus, and we've all made decisions for Jesus, and we go to church, and we do the right things. And, you know, we, we would like to get up to that category of really loving Jesus, but we're just kind of the ordinary Christians. I think oftentimes, whether we say it or not, we tend to think in those terms. But the reality is, this is not a special category for disciple. It is the only category for disciple. Do you love Jesus? That's at the essence here. Now, one of the challenging things about growing up and living in the Bible Belt is that that is not easily understood. You know, one of the realities of the Bible Belt is that we tend to define discipleship as making a decision for Jesus, that that's what it means to be a Christian, that at some point in your life, you pray a prayer, you walk an aisle, or that you know the right things about Jesus. You know, if I know the right facts... If I'm a good person, 
then I must be a Christian. And that Matt Chandler, who's pastor of Village Church in San Antonio, Texas, he says that is the most challenging thing about ministering in the Bible Belt. The most challenging thing is that almost everyone believes they're a Christian even whenever they're not. So they, they base the fact that they're a Christian on the fact that, yes, they made a decision or even that they're a Southerner or that they're a good person or that they're registered Republican, right? Don't those all just naturally go together? And so that's the greatest challenge in the Bible Belt is thinking you're a Christian whenever you're not. John Piper goes even further than that, talking about this teaching that's so pervasive in the Bible Belt that all that it means to be a Christian is that you believe the right things about Jesus, which ironically James says in the book of James, well, so does the devil. Satan knows really good doctrine. You ever think about that? He knows who Jesus is. He knows all that Jesus has done. In fact, far better than we do. But what's the difference? He doesn't love him. He doesn't trust him. In fact, he hates him. So, John Piper says this teaching has not only distorted Christianity in the Bible Belt, it's actually ravaged it, he says. This, this belief that to be a disciple just simply means to believe something in your head or to make a decision. But the reality is, is that to be a disciple means that something has happened inside of you where Jesus now becomes your treasure. Something supernatural has taken place inside of you. The scriptures call it conversion or being born anew, born of God. Nothing you can do. You can't make yourself born. Something's got to happen to you to where before Jesus was, you know, he's a great person, you know, I believed who he is, but all of a sudden something supernatural happens in you to where Jesus becomes your greatest treasure. You fall in love with Jesus. He becomes your satisfaction. He becomes your joy. That is conversion, not some second level of Christianity. But literally, it is the essence of being a disciple that you love Jesus. Now, one of the things about love, and we kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago with Facebook and different things. You know, we throw out love all the time in our culture, right? We say, I love pizza. Or we say, oh, I love those earrings you've got. Or I love this and I love that. We're in love with love. We throw that around. One of the interesting things is whenever you go to a, a, a different culture, especially if it's a culture in the East that's really big on hospitality, people will tell you, whenever you go into someone's home, don't say that you love anything in their home because they'll give it to you. Because you see, for them, to say I love something like means a lot. And so if you're in their home and they say, oh, I love that painting that you have there. Well, they, they're like, oh, my God. They just told me that that painting is the greatest treasure in their life. I have to give it to them now. So that's what happens. If you say I love something, you're going to walk out with someone's family heirloom, right? So we have a problem with love because whenever we say, do you love Jesus? Well, we all would say, well, absolutely I love Jesus. Who else would I love? Muhammad? Of course not. I love Jesus. We all love Jesus. Again, I'm a southerner, you know. 
So the question is, how do you know if you love Jesus? It's a very important question for each one of us. And that's really the main point of what Jesus is saying in these verses. How do you know? Look again, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. You see, he's just repeating this over and over and over. Now, be clear on what he's saying in this passage. He's not saying that love and obedience are the same thing. Those are two different things. They're closely related, but they're not the same thing. Jesus is not even saying here, you should obey me, although he does in other other places, and we should obey Jesus. But that's not what he's saying here. Look at what he's saying. If you love me, you see, that's the question. Do you love me? Am I your treasure? Do you delight in me? Am I the most deeply satisfying thing to you? If that is true, you will obey me. In other words, obedience will flow, right, Stan? Obedience will flow from love for Jesus. You see, it's a natural consequence. You see, love comes first, and if you love, you will obey. This is actually true in almost every area of our life. Anything that you love, you're going to come to obey it. You're going to come to learn what its desires are and then seek to live those out. It's a function of love. It flows from love. Let me explain what I mean. If you're in love with another person, say you, you imagine two, two lovers that are falling in love with each other, they're moving towards marriage, what do you do whenever you're in love with another person? Well, you, you study what their desires are, right? That's a part of what happens when two people are pursuing one another and falling in love with each other. You're studying what that person likes. What, what brings them pleasure? What are their commands? What are the things that are most important to them? And then what do you do? You do them. Not out of duty. Not out of, well, I'm supposed to bring her flowers uh, because that's kind of one of the things that she desires. Unfortunately, that ends up happening in marriage, right? When love begins to wane. That's why it's so important in marriage to continue to feed love so that it flourishes. But when two people are in love with one another, it's not a duty, it's a delight. What brings you joy? And then I'm going to go seek to do that, to obey it. It's just a natural consequence. And it works with anything. If you love work, you're going to obey work. Right? If you're the most precious thing in your life are your children then you are going to do all that is necessary for their flourishing. Not because you have to, but because you love them. It's a natural flow. So if you want to know what someone loves, if you want to know what is most important in someone's life, what do you do? You don't listen to what they say. You look at what they do. Because it's our actions and our choices and what we give our time to and our money to that always reveals our loves. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. So Jesus, I believe, is really challenging us to ask a very important question. So let's apply this. I think it's something that we each need to ask. Do you love Jesus? Is he your joy? Like, do you, do you find, and, you know, we, we like sometimes to avoid emotions. You cannot avoid emotion with Christianity. 
it's deeply intertwined. Now, you shouldn't base everything on emotions, but that's true of everything. But if you don't feel affection for Jesus, something's missing. Do you love him? Is he your treasure? And even a more important and practical question is, do you obey him? Now, not perfectly. Come on, nobody can obey him perfectly. I mean, it's reality. Always our obedience is going to be imperfect because we continue to struggle with sin. When you come to Jesus, sin doesn't go away in your life. It's just that you're now a justified sinner with new desires that are growing in your life. But we cannot obey him perfectly. That's not what he's talking about. The question is, who's in charge of your life? Like, who's Lord in your life? Who's on the throne? When, when you learn that Jesus is opposed to something in your life, who wins, you or him? Do you seek to obey him with your life? You see, that's just an indicator of, do I love him? And I think an, a critical question to ask, especially for those of us in the Bible Belt. Well, let me not end here, because if I ended here, we might be a little bit in despair, right? Because the reality is, we don't love him in the ways that he's called us to love him. We, we don't obey him in the ways that we've been called to obey him. And as we ask those honest questions, which we should, one thing that can easily happen in our life is we can begin to base our security on our love for him, which is dangerous. We can begin to base our salvation on, do I love him enough? Do I obey him enough? That's the easiest thing in the world to do as a Christian, to begin to base his love for me on my love for him. Now, here's the good news. That is not what saves us. That is not what brings us security. That is not the basis of our hope. The basis of our hope is not our love for him, but rather his love for us. And in fact, our love for him is only the outward flow of receiving his love for us. That's the gospel. And we've got to get that deeply in our hearts. It's only as you experience his love for you in the gospel that you're ever going to love him. John writes another book called 1 John. And 1 John is kind of like a backdrop, kind of an expansion on these chapters we're looking at here. And in 1 John chapter 4, he says some really amazing things. I want to encourage you to go and to read 1 John 4 and just meditate on it. Because it is so incredibly encouraging if you're a believer. But here's what he says. This is love. He talks a lot about love. Our love for Jesus, his love for us, our love for one another. But here's what he says. This is love. Not that we love him, but that he has loved us and has sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, John says, our love it's not the greatest picture of love. Our love is not the basis of our salvation or his acceptance. The ultimate picture of love is God's love for us. That's the only unshakable love. That's the only love that doesn't come and go, that's not hot and cold. And the demonstration of his love for us, because we're always asking that, do you love me? And usually whenever we're asking that question, we're wondering, am I lovable to you, Lord? Have I done enough to get your love? 
And yet John says, this is love. He has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the gospel. If you want to know, does God love me? Look at the gospel. It's the ultimate demonstration of his love, that God would give his one and only son to be a substitute for us. Now, I have some sons, and listen, I would not give them for anything in the world because I love them. And the father loves the son with an infinite love. But yet, get this, he gave up his son for you. That is love. He goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. That's the gospel. We don't love because we say, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I get it enough, or I'm committed enough, or I decided on this, or I'm a good Christian. We don't look at our love. The only way that we can love Jesus is if he has first loved us. If you have received his love for you, that generates our love for him. And he goes on to say this, and so we know and rely upon the love God has for us. What are you relying on? Are you relying on your goodness or even a past decision or how much you love Jesus? It's critical to look at, do I love Jesus? But you cannot rely upon your love for him. What are you relying upon? As we come to rely, to put our confidence in, our dependence upon, not our love for him, but his love for us in Christ, it creates love for Jesus. You want to fall in love with Jesus? Do you want to treasure him above everything else? Do you want him to be your satisfaction and joy? Receive his love for you in the gospel. Meditate on. Take it in. Bank your life on it. You know, you don't just need to hear this once a week. You need to hear this constantly. To soak in the truth of the gospel. Because only in that are we ever going to be able to love him in the way that we're called to. This morning we get to come to the table. Which is a tremendous experience of his love for us. As we come to take communion... Communion is all about experiencing tangibly his love for us because it's a picture of the gospel. The bread is the broken body of Jesus that was broken and hung on a cross. And the wine is his blood that was poured out for us. What's central in communion is the gospel. And as we come to receive communion, he's pressing the truth of the gospel, the truth of his love into our hearts Communion makes us fall in love with Jesus and actually love one another, which is what he's commanded us to do. So just a few, uh, actually, let's, let's go ahead and pray a prayer of confession. As we come to the table, we always begin with confession as a way to prepare our hearts to come and receive grace. So could we pull up our prayer of confession on PowerPoint here? So let's pray this together, and let me just encourage you, don't just read this, like, let's make this our prayer 
to the Lord together as one. So let's pray together. Confess our sins to the Lord. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now take a few moments to silently confess your sins to the Lord. Lord Jesus, it's true that as we look at our lives, even as we look at our love for you, even as we look at our obedience to you, if we're honest, we can't help but admit the reality that we are far from what you've called us to be. But Lord, we praise you that our security is not in the depth of our love for you. That's not our hope. Our hope is in your love for us. So as we confess our sins to you, we now receive the free pardon of Jesus through the shedding of his blood that washes us clean, makes us white as snow. And as we now come to your table, would you set apart these elements, this bread and this wine for your your holy use that your love might be experienced in our hearts, which might in turn create a growing love for you. So come and meet us and feed us at your table. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now a few instructions here for communion. Uh, If you're new or a visitor, uh, this is an extended time of worship, so we sing a number of worship songs. If you're visiting this morning, if you are a lover of Jesus, and a member of a Bible-believing church, we invite you to come and receive communion. Uh, This is for you. This is not just for our church. This is for all of those who love Jesus. And so if that is you, we invite you to come and feast upon him. Now, if, if you're not sure if that's you or you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, the Scriptures encourage you not to take, but rather invite you to take the real thing. Would you consider receiving Christ, uh, falling in love with him? And I, I would love to talk about how to do that after the service. So if you wish not to take communion for any reason, uh, don't fill out a place. It's perfectly okay. You can come forward and be prayed for. If you want to come forward and be prayed for and not be served the elements, just put your hands down like this and that'll let us know we're just going to pray for you. You don't want to take communion. Or if you're more comfortable to just sit in your seat and worship, you're more than welcome to do that as well. So you just feel like you're not in the wrong place. We're glad you're here if you feel that you should not take communion. But for those of us who love Jesus and who long to love him more, this table's for you. This table's for you, not for perfect people, because none of us would come to this table. This is for those who deeply feel their need 
of the grace of Jesus. Come and feast upon him. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat from it, all of you. And in like manner, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the remission of your sins. Take and drink from it, all of you. For as often as we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So lovers of Jesus, I invite you to come and feast upon your Savior this morning. Musicians, you guys.